What it do, DMV episode 55 of Chirpin' DMV. A great episode ahead uh, for you guys. But first, let's say hey to the boys. KP, what's up? What's going on, guys? How's it going? Good. How you been, man? How you holding up during uh, all this? What you been up to? Uh, just trying. Actually, I've been finding new ways to try to play street hockey. Like, it's crazy how before I wouldn't have got out and just like rollerbladed or just like taken a puck on the street and just stick handled. But like, I've been finding new ways to like just do it. So much fun. And over to the other side, AB, what's up, baby? Uh, not much, man. We're just playing more video games, playing more Warzone. Um, we just started GM mode. Um, I'm making the Buffalo Sabres a powerhouse <laughs> uh, from the 2017-2018 season and on. So right now, uh, Jack Eichel, obviously the captain. I drafted uh, – Elias Peterson. Okay. Nice so, pick. not bad. Traded for Charlie McAvoy. Okay. Had, What'd you have to I give have, up there? Uh, he's got uh, easy. What'd you have to give up for Charlie? I still had Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, so, so you traded Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, man, I would have kept Ryan O'Reilly. I'm, I'm building for the future. It's, like, it's got to be a powerhouse. There you so, go. I got, like, my main studs right now are all under 22 years old. And I also signed TJ Oshie. He was an unrestricted free Oh, my God. So you're just loaded. Being a homer. Oh, man. This team's going to be sick. Well, I, I actually have two GM modes going right now. That's one. The other one is, like, I'm going day by day with the caps. So I'm, like, in the playoffs right now. And we're in the second round against Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, geez. Dude, we'll have to get you a and twitch. Get I'm a blowing it right now. We're down, we're down two nothing in the series right now. I am blowing it. Can they, you can't blow it. Don't worry. It'll be an epic comeback. So we're going to keep this intro short and sweet because we just spent an hour plus with the great, the powerful, the legendary Joe Beninati. I want to I cut you off real quick. Yeah, he mentions – he talks about a story in here, that, which obviously we'll get to in the interview, mm-hmm. about – or not even a story, just his feelings toward not being able to call that 2018. I felt that. June 7, 2018 game, which was, yeah, it was, yeah. like, I could feel his pain. Like, he kind of opened up a little, little more. I hey, personally, I, like, I, I, I think he kind of said it uh, in a way without really getting too in-depth into it, but I would be, I would love it, but I would hate it. Like he said, it's so bittersweet. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. But well, it, just, he just really expressed his feeling, and, I mean, you can understand he was with the team from the beginning of the season. Well, he's been with the franchise forever, but. Like, from the beginning of just that season, you know, you kind of want to finish it as a team still in the playoffs. Well, so not even that. What I was going to say was, like, and I don't, I'm not trying to just – just because we had Joby on, I'm not trying to, like, you know, kind of, like, kiss his ass a little bit here. But his his call, I feel like, would have been so much better than Doc's. I don't know if you remember Doc's call. It wasn't that. great. Dude, it sucked. I almost mentioned it in the interview, and I didn't just because I didn't want to, like – It was like, what, the capital – of the, the capital country, of the nation, the hockey world, or something. Yeah, it was, it was the capital of the nation to have become the capitals of the playoff of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I was yeah. like, "That's so bad." Yeah, he would have he would have gave more. Uh, John Walton's so good. Yeah, yeah, John Walton's great. Joby's would have been great if he if he got to call that game. And I didn't, so I didn't mention that that because I didn't want to bash like Doc Emmerich. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, everybody knows Doc's legendary, but yeah, maybe we, it 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 would have felt more personal to us if you know a dc guy was calling it it was just i just thought it was such a bad call especially for a franchise winning its first stanley cup ever and ov i mean there's so much going on there i mean i just thought it was a bad call 
but anyway, yeah, you'll hear. There's so many stories that he's got in this oh, interview. It's a, it's Dude, a, how about how about when he goes when he says simply sensational? That was good. I love that. And he'll never say it again. Oh. No, he said it. Then he said he'll never say it again. I think I think Kyle like creamed his pants when he said it. I was like, dude, dude that was hot. that was great. <laughs> so without further ado, let's uh, kick it over to Joe B. All right, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest, former DC Sportscaster of the Year, twelve-time Capital Emmy Award winner, and longtime voice of our beloved Washington Capitals. Can be heard on ESPN, the Big Ten Network, you name it, he calls it. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Beninati, welcome to uh, the podcast, fellas. It's my pleasure. Happy to join you. Excellent, excellent. So, Joe, we appreciate you. Like I said, um, for so long, you've just kind of lived in every Caps fan's living room. You and Locke, <laughs> just every season, just telling us the story of the team, the story of, you know, individual players and telling it with such charismatic, you know, structure to it. So we kind of want to now tell the story of the guy that tells the stories. <laughs> so we'll start at the beginning there. I mean, born and raised in New York there, Long Island. I mean, what was your first you know, encounter with sports? Was there an athlete? Was there a moment in a game that just kind of made you think, wow, sports, sports are written. How do I get involved? First of all, you're talking to a guy who has a degree in biology and wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll get to that further down the list in this, uh, in this story. But um, with respect to loving sports, I, I always did from the very, very beginning. I can go back as far as I can remember. My father was a New York City firefighter and a registered nurse. He was an unbelievable baseball player, great shortstop. He loved hockey. He was a Rangers fan. I loved hockey more than baseball, but I played both of them when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. And my dad was really smart in that he asked me, I always wanted to be a goalie. Dad, can we please get the goalie pads? Can I please wear a mask? No, no, no. no. You have to make a travel team first as a skater, and then we'll talk about goalie. Age five, I learned how to skate. Age six, I made a might squirt uh, or a might uh, travel team. And my dad lived up to his word. As soon as I was seven years old and I had made that travel team, uh, we went out and got the goalie pads. So I, I was in love with hockey from the very beginning. And here's where the quasi-broadcaster in me comes out. When we would be playing street hockey or we'd be playing pickup football or touch football, pole to pole or anything basketball related. Hey, can we be the 76ers and the Celtics? And I was the dumb dumb who had all the names in his mind. Can yeah. we be the Rangers and the Flyers playing street hockey? We'd run around. I'd be calling the game. Can we do the, can we be the 49ers and the Steelers? I had all the names yep. and perish the thought. If I was to get tired while running around and stop calling the game, guys would be like, are you sick? Is there something wrong? <laughs> so always there there was always this play-by-play -play seed that was somewhere in there but I, I love sports ever since I could as far back as I can remember so did you have an alliance with the uh, New York teams growing up or in what sports were you kind of into growing up was it hockey football I, I loved them all um my dad like I said was a New York City firefighter he and three other firefighters were season ticket holders to the Rangers so I would yeah. go to Madison Square Garden a lot when I was a kid and it's great uh, going back yeah. now as an adult and to, to work games there, the seats that my dad had as season tickets no longer exist in the reconfiguration wow. of MSG. So that's kind of wild whenever we go back there with the caps. But right. um, football, baseball, hockey, basketball, I, I love them all. And growing up in the New York area, I was able to hear some of the, the legends of the sports broadcasting world, specifically Marv Albert was who I would almost fall asleep to when I was seven, eight, nine years old 
whether it be on TV or radio. So there was always that influence there. But what, Rangers and Knicks, correct? He did Knicks for a long time. He did Rangers radio for a long time. I mean, again, Marv was a guy who, just like his son Kenny, crossed over into a lot of different disciplines with regard to sports. But he was based in New York, so we heard him quite often. And, um, yeah, there was, there was always that passion for sports. And I'll, I'll, I'm not lying to you. Ever since I was age 13, 14, it was, can I be a doctor? I wanted to be a, a sports medicine guy, an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to be involved in sports, but I was going to fix your elbow or fix your shoulder. My allegiances, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in my family who are Yankees fans. I wasn't one of those. Uh, my four years in high school were the Islander dynasty run. I liked the Islanders, but my dad was more of a Ranger fan, so I sort of liked them more. And I'll be even more honest in that uh, Channel 29 out of Philadelphia, for some reason, came beaming into our homes on Long Island. So I would see Flyers games in the Broad Street Bullies days. Those were, you know, I'd be 10 or 11 years old back in the mid-70s watching those guys beat the hell out of people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are some – I mean, A.B., I think you – I mean, there's another sport that you haven't even mentioned yet that uh, I think we kind of want to touch on. Go ahead. Yeah, um, something we want to bring up. I don't think a lot of people realize that you hold the record for the most saves in a single season (laughs) at uh, 263 for Bowden College uh, lacrosse team, huh? Stud lax goalie. I, hey, I, there we go. I've held that record for more than 30 years, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and I hope it continues to this day. But it's a, sa- it's a saves for the season record. And I always kid around when I speak to other coaches. Um, yeah, I had no rebound control. So I'd make that first save, but I'd give the ball right back to you for another shot. That's why I had all the rebounds. And that's why I had all the saves. But yeah, pass, I've held that for a long, long time. But like I said, my dad was a great ball player. And I didn't know lacrosse until I was a freshman in high school. So I was going to be the shortstop on the high school baseball team. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that that was going to happen. And it didn't. I was cut and I was miserable. And I'm walking off the field and the lacrosse coach sees me and goes, hey, aren't you that little freshman hockey goalie? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you ever play lacrosse? I go, no. And he hands <laughs> me this butterfly net. And I stand in a hockey goalie crouch. I'm looking like Lundquist or Braden Hope. He goes, no, 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 no. We stand up. We stand up. Come on out to practice today. You'll love it. And he was right. I fell in love with the sport uh, ever since. Easy transition. Yeah, for sure. You're calling, you're calling some across too, right? At some well, point. Well, this year, this year I was supposed to be doing a lot of Big Ten Network. I was supposed to be uh, calling the first round of the NCAA tournament on ESPN. I, cur- mm-hmm. I called my first lacrosse game in 1999. So I've done college and pro since then, and I love it. And I grew up to love the sport once I started to play it in, in high school. I actually played more lacrosse in college at Bowdoin than I did hockey. Uh, I, was, I was a goalie in both sports. I wanted to be the varsity goalie in ice hockey at Bowdoin. They brought in three of us the same year to try and beat out this junior who was a spectacular player. None of us could take the job from him. And that's truly when I got involved with broadcasting on radio and TV. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting. So you just said you got that via college. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about how growing up, it was always, you know, sports medicine, kind of something like that. I mean, who knows? You could have been Greg Smith behind the caps bench for the last <laughs> however many years instead. But, um, yeah, I, like, like I mentioned in the email to you, too, I mean, that's – I mean, kind of getting into broadcasting – kind of didn't start for me until college. And I was like, all right, I'm sitting in the press box at that West Virginia Towson game. I look over and there's NFL scouts everywhere. And I'm like, holy crap, that's Joe B. I've been listening to him since 
98 when I really started watching Cavs games. And I walked in and I was like, hey, Joe, like, man, I'm a Cavs fan, good to meet you. And you're like, you got any samples of work on you? And I was like, shit. Um, no, I don't. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm scouting for the Maryland-West Virginia game next week. I was like, well, I don't have any samples of work, but how about this? I know you're a catchy little 15-second jingle before each Cavs game that rhymes and everything. I was like, let me try to help you write it. And I remember at the time it was like Russell Shell was our running back. It was something to do with like Russell breaking out of his shell against. Oh, the- you're talking about you're talking about writing teases. Yeah, those are yeah, great. Those are, those are fun to write. Those yeah, are open, and, yeah. yeah, the next year we go in and I start the the broadcast team at West Virginia and that lasted my senior year there. But yeah, so you going back kind of to that, you're starting broadcasting. I mean, you mentioned it wasn't really until college. I mean, did you get a call or did you just kind of go up to a coach and say, hey, I kind of want to try to call a game or something? I know the sport. I love the sport. Let me try to kind of do a little play-by-play here or. So the first year that I'm on campus, I get hurt in the fall. I could not play hockey at all. I was hoping to unseat that junior who was turning, going to turn out to be an All-American in the net. I wasn't going to beat him out any day soon for his job. I got hurt my freshman year. Buddies of mine were DJs on the campus radio station. Okay. Hey, um, can you help us describe these hockey games? And I said to them, you mean like call play-by-play? And they're like, yes, exactly. And then all of a sudden in my mind, I went back to running around on the streets when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Yeah, you know, maybe that might work. And honestly, guys, I did uh, probably did three games. And I don't know how, but there was a Casco cable TV station. I don't know how they got my phone number at the college, but they did. They call me up and they go, hey, we heard you on the radio. You're pretty good. Do you want to do this on television? I said, sir, I'm 18 years old. He goes, oh, well, that doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're good. Do you know anything about football and basketball? I said, sure. He goes, well, we do lots of high school football and basketball. You could do all those sports for us on television. I said, are you offering me three sports on television at age 18? He goes, yes. I said, you have a deal. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile I'm, I'm telling you, true to form, I am so hardcore pre-med taking courses that are way over my head. Bowden makes great lawyers. They make great doctors. They're not in the, in the broadcast industry. Broadcast there, was industry. No, there was no broadcast journalism or communications. And I just stuck it out with, with biology the whole time. But all the while, now I'm doing three sports on TV. I jump into the sports information director's office. I'm helping him write press releases and prepare media guides and do stats. And the day I graduated, fellas, after my sophomore year calling mom and dad, hey, I don't know about med school. Oh, really? What do you want to do? I think I want to be a sportscaster. Click. <laughs> Hang up as fast as possible. Yep. They were really supportive. But the day I graduated, fellas, they made me the SID. They said, congratulations. Move your tassel. You're the sports information director on Monday. I'm like, okay, never have to look for a job. And, and that was it. I, I spent the four undergraduate years at Bowdoin plus two more years as the SID there. And that's Brunswick, Maine. Mm-hmm. And the professional side of it starts with a not-so-cute story involving the team that was in Portland, Maine, the American Hockey League. That was the Maine Mariners. That's where my entry to the, to the pro sports world would come. So uh, you spent, I think, five years in the AHL, a lot of bus trips, stuff like that. Um, I mean, how, how was that, um, like that time in the AHL? So here's the thing, Kyle. When you're working in the American Hockey League, it is – vastly different than broadcasting in the NHL. When I was working in Portland, Maine, and in Providence, you wore seven different hats. Yes, you were the radio and TV guy, but you also did notes, you did stats, you did all the publications, 
you were the uh, team services guy, you were the immigrations guy, you were the travel secretary. The only the Swiss thing Army that, knife. Completely. The <laughs> only thing that I was spared of, which most guys who are in the American and women who are working in the minor leagues, most of them have to sell. Most of them have to sell advertising. That was the only thing that I was insulated from. I never had to sell time on the radio. I never had to sell ad space for the programs. Uh, our owner, president, GM, they did all of that stuff. They let me focus on just those six or seven things that we're talking about. So honestly, boys, those are 20-hour days. And yeah. you did that. You put everything into it, looking forward to 7 o'clock at night when you were on the air. But I can tell you stories where I was still in the office at 6.53 before a 7 o'clock show yeah, can you move this paragraph around? Can you change this stack? Can you change this headline? I need a different photo. Ed, I'm on the air in five minutes. No, 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 you're okay. And then I would sprint up to the booth. Nowadays, totally different. You have all that time to prepare. And like you were saying to me, Matt, you had the, I had time to go in and pre-scout a, a West Virginia football game. Mm -hmm. But you did all those things at the development level, whether it be single A, double A, triple A baseball, whether it be Development League in the NBA, whether it be American Hockey League or ECHL in hockey, you do all those things to get where you are so that you can become just focused and fixated on being a TV or the best radio announcer you can possibly be. But I set a goal for myself. I wanted to be in the NHL before I was 30. Luckily, I did that at age 28 by the time I got my call here in D.C. back in 1994. Yes. Yeah, so so, sorry, Matt, but did you reach out to the Caps, or how, how did that whole situation work where you got hired by them in 94? Jeff Rimmer was on his way from the Washington, D.C. area to go and work with what was then a relatively young Florida Panthers franchise. That opened up the job. You know, I, this is probably <laughs> in and around the time that you guys were born almost, or maybe shortly thereafter. Um, home team sports had a 60-game package. And WB50 or DC20 had the other 20 games. When Jeff leaves to go to Florida, that creates the, the opening at WB50 and DC20. I put in to be a TV guy for that station. And all of a sudden, I'm in the final three and I'm being interviewed. And voila, you got the job. That's fantastic. Now, I'm leaving one of the best radio jobs in the American Hockey League in Providence at the time to only do 20 games on TV. But what made it perfect was the Caps liked me so much. They saw my tapes. They wanted it to be a full-time gig for me. They said, you know what? Six in, sit in the other 60 games with Ron Weber on the radio. So now they made it a full-time gig. Boom. Off I go and I take it. The, the funny part of the story is, if you remember back to 1994-95, that was the first labor dispute. That was a lockout. Right. Hey, welcome, welcome to the big leagues. There are no big leagues. That was the first of three of those that I've had to endure. Wow, Never good. Yeah. That's kind of funny because uh, we had uh, Tarek on a while back, and yeah. his first year in the league, he also had a lockout. The first year, his first year writing for the Caps, he said it was it was the lockout year, so I had no idea what to write about. Yeah, it's a wow. that's a real kick in the head, and this is what we're going through now with the league being paused right. the way it is is totally different in that you've played sixty eight, sixty nine games, and now you're having this crazy kind of stoppage due to the to the uh, the pandemic and. I want to say that I'm used to it, but those three before were always, there's no start of the season in October. This is totally different right. to have things come to a halt in, in March. Yeah. So now that we're on to the caps right now, you come in, uh, you got guys like Bondra, Ole Kolzig, kind of wall, Chuck Berube, uh, your partner, Alan May, uh, kind of take us through that first season. They had a full season of the NHL 
mean, it had to have been like a huge adjustment. I mean, you already mentioned how different it was from the NHL or from the AHL to the NHL. Just take us a little through that, that adjustment period. Yeah. The, the biggest thing, Alex, is, is being a television guy full time. Right. When I was coming from Providence, I would probably do 60 games of radio play-by-play and the other 20 were on TV with, uh, with Nesson, New, uh, New England Sports Network, right. which still has the rights to the Boston Bruins today. Right. Nesson were, were the people who gave me my TV entree. They were, the, they were the ones who first put me on TV. Now you're going to be on TV all the time and there's a different cadence, a different pacing, a different rhythm. Everything from a broadcast standpoint, thank goodness, went smoothly. I had terrific producers and directors to work with back then when I was just cutting my teeth in the NHL, learning the ropes. But right. from, a, from a roster standpoint, Jim Schoenfeld was the head coach at the time. He was incredibly forgiving, and um, he was very patient with me as mm-hmm. I was getting up to a full understanding of how the, N- the NHL works on a day-to-day basis. I couldn't think of a better head coach to, uh, to break in with than Shoney. He was incredibly patient. He was very cooperative. Uh, he, he didn't give you pad answers. You know, he, he could easily just give you some, something that you could sit there and go, okay, I can work with that. He, he gave you stuff that you could really use on the air. So I'm forever indebted to him for that. The group on the ice was tremendous. And I'll say this now. I've been here, what, 25, 26 years in the market. Honestly, fellas, I could count on maybe three, three fingers the amount of dum-dums, the amount of bad guys there have been in 26 years. Crazy. So, so the, the group of players, the athletes here have been great to work with. They warmed up to me, and I, I don't know where all 25 years have come and gone, but that quarter century has gone really fast and, and thankfully really well. For sure. I kind of want to jump back to something real quick. You mentioned growing up falling asleep to Mark Albert. I mean, who, yeah. were, who were some of the others um, that you maybe studied uh, once you started really getting into broadcasting? And this, a question on top of that, or in your opinion, who are some of the best you know, play-by-play color guys in the game today? Two good questions. Um, let's go back to the first one first. So. Obviously, Marv was influential to me when I was young. Right. And even more so as I got to the American Hockey League, uh, Kenny Albert, Marv's son, and I are pretty much contemporaries in as far as being in the American Hockey League at the same time. Kenny was working in Baltimore when I was working in Maine and in Providence. And Kenny's dad, Marv, would occasionally visit Kenny while he was doing games in the American League. And every once in a while, they would be at those games where I was working across from Kenny. Hey, really, is Marvin, is your dad going to be here tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, could he jump on with me in between periods as a guest? I was in heaven. So here's one of my heroes, and I'm interviewing him as a pro. And, again, he treated me like I was in the business forever, and I will never forget that. He's one of the people influential to my style for sure, but I would counsel and advise any young announcer. I would tell that person, him or her, to be themselves. I didn't want to go into it and be Marv, but Marv was influential in in the cadence and in the rhythm for sure. When I was in the American Hockey League in Portland, Maine, my first job was with the then Maine Mariners. And I walked into the owner's office before he hired me, and I saw this pyramid of of great pictures and photos of people who are obviously important to the gentleman who was hiring me. At the very top was Mike Emmerich. I'm like, um, Doc worked here, right? Yeah, Doc worked in Portland in the late 70s. And Joe, if you're wise, you'll do it like him. So anybody who, what would the word be, succeeded Mike in Portland was always advised, hey, you know, reach out to Doc. He'll help you. He was one of the first people who critiqued my tapes. Really? So 
Now you've got Marv, legend, Doc, legend. And I'll go one further. When I was in Portland, Maine, and when I was in Brunswick, Maine, even at, at Bowdoin, uh, Gary Thorne was working at the University of Maine. Yes. And Gary Thorne was doing double-A baseball in Portland, Maine. And Gary and I would do games, Bowdoin against the University of Maine games, separated by 10 feet. Gary, would you please give my tape a listen? So those are the three guys who really did a, a solid by me and spending some time with me, listening, constructively criticizing my tapes, and helping to mold the guy who's on the air now. I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say it were those three. Those were the three who had the most influence, for sure. Gary, Gary's got some of the best calls in NHL history. He's, when he went out of hockey, I was like, come on, man. We need you back in the sport. Uh, you know, he, memorials, but. In any sport, in, in football, yeah. in baseball, and specifically in, in hockey, I know the ones that you're referencing. Um, he's blessed, obviously, with, a, with one of the voices of God. When you, when you hear um, his voice, the voice quality is fabulous. It's the beautiful, deep baritone that we all would strive for. So he was given a gift. And then to be able to string phrases together and enunciate clearly and identify players properly, you know, that's the real charm and that's the talent of this job. But if you have that voice quality, you know, that's a network announcer. And right. if you, knew it, if you knew it the second you heard Gary Thorne. The opposite may be true when you think of Doc Emmerich. Mike's voice is unique. It has, it has a very odd sound to it at times. It is not nearly the depth and baritone of Gary Thorne. Right. But it works for Doc. And Doc, from a historical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, from a vocabulary verbiage standpoint, is a genius. Marv was... Marv was enthusiasm. Marv was passion. That's what I learned from him, and that's what I hope to bring to every telecast that I work on. All right, Jovi. So this one might be hard. It might be not. Let's what is your uh, Pacific, like, favorite call of all time that you've ever made? Whew. <laughs> you know, I I've been asked this before, and I always struggle with it. I've been lucky to call eight different sports. Yeah, and pretty cool on both TV and radio. So there are, there are differences to the calls. Yep. I've done Olympic games on radio and those are incredibly special. A gold medal game, Henrik Lundqvist winning it in, um, in Torino, Italy in 2006 that I did for, for Westwood one and for what it was then known as NBC sports radio. That call to me is something that I will always remember because the game was fantastic. And when I'll be honest with you guys, I listen to just about everything that I do. I still, to this day, want to get better. I want to improve. I haven't done my best show yet. So I'll listen to everything and say, okay, that was really good. That wasn't so good. Modify this, change that. Um, Olympic games really, really get me going. That's best on best. And for me, that's been on the radio, which I think is the purest form of play-by-play. But on TV, I've had the good pleasure now of broadcasting one, two, three different winter classics. I did one in Pittsburgh. I did one at Notre Dame. I did one this year at, um, at, uh, in Dallas. And those are incredible experiences. So they have to be included among my favorites. Isolated games or moments. I mean, Alex Ovechkin's goal in Glendale, Arizona, yeah. his rookie year that he'll forever be connected to. I was lucky enough to provide a soundtrack to that. So I know I've heard that call an awful lot. 
it'll never it'll never be said by me ever again right I'll never use those two words i shouldn't i don't think ever use those two words in terms of simply sensational ever again oh, I love because that one that. was so special um i think of jason shimera in a double overtime game winning goal Yep. in Madison Square Garden that was fantastic that was a multi a multi overtime game where the caps actually won that hasn't happened very often right right not in those multi overtime games the longer they go the better it tends to turn out i've still broadcast what i think from a division 1 standpoint is the longest lacrosse game ever um it was the university of maryland and virginia when they were acc rivals a game that went to seven overtimes I did that with Quint Kesnick. That game was on ESPN. I'll never forget that. I will never forget um, doing the first telecast in Nebraska the season after the Huskers punter was killed in an automobile accident. I had the home opening game at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, 95,000 people strong. And yes, guys, you know that hockey is my favorite sport to do, but it's hard to beat but it's about college, the college football Saturday night. So now put the setting in Lincoln, 95,000 people, and the emotional ties of returning to campus. This player was beloved, lost tragically in an automobile accident, and you have to put the call to that first punt without him. That's a moment that I'll never, ever forget. Mm. Thankfully, I've been blessed with a ton, Kyle. I don't know if I could pin it down to just one. I really don't. My, my first NHL game ever on TV. Patrick Wash shutout. The first major wow. league base, the first major league baseball game that I ever called. The first hitter at the plate, Jerry Harrison Jr. in Kansas City hits a home run. Line drive wall scraper that made the made the wall by this much. Wow. Here's your first call in Major League Baseball. The last thing you want to do is call it a home run and have it hit in the middle of the wall. Thank goodness it crawled over the wall, and I was right that it was a home run call. First play from scrimmage in major college football that I ever called. Uh, on radio for Westwood One, Colorado at Nebraska, 66-yard touchdown run. I've been really, really blessed. I, I'm incredibly fortunate. Some definitely cool stories. Is there a part of you that wishes – I mean, every year after the first round of the playoffs, obviously it leaves the local in terms of TV and goes to all NBC. Is there a part of you that wishes you could call, especially in the 2018 year, call the Caps throughout the entirety of a playoff run? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, so, after 25 years with this club – you want to be there in the biggest, brightest moments. And if you remember, I was doing the national telecast as well as the Caps from 2005 through 2010. I had six seasons when the NHL was on Versus. And all of a sudden, Doc was the number one, and they had slotted me number two, and I will never forget that. I was overwhelmed and humbled by that experience. And Doc would be doing whatever, the Eastern Conference or Western Conference, and I would be on the other side. And then Mike would be, you know, Doc would call the Stanley Cup final. It was tracking like, you know what? You're going to actually live your dream. You're going to someday succeed Doc and be calling the, uh, the Stanley Cup final, which mm -hmm. is why I got into this business. Now, kind of, we, there, was a, there was a switch. There was a change in 2010. And that management change didn't work out so well for me. We can get into that. It's a sore spot. <laughs> but for the last uh, – Let's go. Eight, nine years, I've been left out. I went from being the number two to not being in the mix. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that June 7th, 2018, was one of the greatest nights of my life. But bittersweet. And, and 
one of the most stressing nights of my life. Right. With five minutes to go, with seven minutes to go after Lars Eller scores, and the Caps have to protect that last seven minutes in game five in Vegas, I was there. I was doing pregame shows and postgame shows, but it wasn't my call. Mm-hmm. And I was agonizing on the last minute as to, and it's not just me, fellas. It's not just being selfish. I wanted all of us at NBC Sports Washington, who I've worked with for two decades, all of our camera operators, our audio engineers, our producers, directors, Locker, Alan May, Al Koken, Rob Carl, all those guys. And I wanted our team to be able to do it. And to not be able to, it was as exhilarating as possible. I could not be happier for the fans, for the owners, for the players, for the coaches. But individually, there was part of me that was getting my heart ripped out of my chest not doing that game. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it all, like I said, since 94 and then 99, Leonsis comes in, kind of changes the feel of the franchise. 04 Obi comes in, changes the entire league in the city. And then year after year, it was seemingly just heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. And then when that moment comes, they're like, you got to step aside. It's it's switching over to the national stage. And then, but in, in terms of like still radio teams get to travel with the team and they still get to do their calls. I mean, John Walton's calls in that game were absolutely incredible. They're legendary. But yeah, I can totally understand where you can feel like that. But so you can understand what I, you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 20, definitely. 25, 30 years from now. Well, let me put on the highlight film from 2018. There's Doc Emmerich. There's John Walton. Joe who? Where's the guy that we see on TV Joe every who? night? You know. And that's you know that that has to hurt from a pride standpoint. That does hurt. But more than anything, I wanted our whole team, not just Joe. Right. I wanted our whole team to be part of it. But hey, you know NBC spends an awful lot of money for that exclusivity and for whatever reason which i don't want to get into um they don't want me to be a part of their team so i couldn't be a part of that run-up or eventually the stanley cup final that's something that i strive for i told you i haven't done my best game yet and i'm not just satisfied per se with being the 25 or six-year voice of the caps there's a competitive person in me who wants to do more, who wants to get those national opportunities. And that's why I still seek them out in other sports, football, lacrosse, wherever. Um, I'd love for it to be hockey. I'll never say never. I hope it will be someday that the, the people who are doing the national package will reconsider and will include me on those teams. I don't know if that'll ever happen. But I had my six years there where it was fun, and it was uh, something that I take enormous pride in, and I miss it. I'll be honest with you. I miss it to this very day. Right. So real quick to build off that before AB kind of wants to get into the, uh, the, the 2018 run itself, that Madden pool run. So, I mean, say hypothetically a couple of years down the line, their NBC calls you up and says, hey, Doc's kind of on his way out. He's ready to call it quits. He's had a great career. Um, would you take that spot on that National Hockey League level and just kind of be like, my time in D.C. has been great, um, but it's time to move on and get that spotlight that, you know, is seemingly deserved? Nothing like putting me on the spot there, big yeah. boss. <laughs> by the way, oh, by man. the way, my contract just expired, so <laughs> I'm a free agent here. Go easy on me. And I, I, Maybe we Turbin DMV can sign you. <laughs> let's put it this way. When I was from 05 to 10, working both sides of the street, if you will, the local regional side, NBC Sports Washington, and the national side with the NHL on Versus, That was my ideal. That was my cup of tea because I love it here. I don't, I'm not looking to run away from the caps. I just want the opportunity to do more 
national network stuff that's league-wide generated all the way through the playoffs. So I was doing upwards of 90, 95 games in the preseason, in the regular season at that time. I would do close to 70 Caps gamers and another 25 regular season on versus. I'd be doing a game in San Jose on Monday night, red eye back to do the Caps on Tuesday night. That I wasn't afraid of that. I, I had that kind of freedom and I had the energy to do it. And both sides thought I had the talent to do it. So knock on wood, that was fun. Now, the hypothetical that you're suggesting would be that I would leave Washington to do just the national package in the way that Doc left the Devils to go just to the national side. Um, I would have to think about that, but it probably would not take me that long to make a decision on that, especially considering that I would have, what did you say, three years from now? I would have given almost 30 years to the job in Washington. I, I, would, I would have to listen to that opportunity, and I'd probably jump at it to take that national chance. Right. That's a hypothetical, though. Hypothetical. I'm not looking to run away. The best of both worlds is to be able to do both. Right. But if it's, if it's going to be incredibly to my benefit, it'd be hard for me to turn it down. Right. I mean, it's a lifelong dream of yours, obviously. Uh, that's why I, and putting you on the spot like that. But, I mean, I, I feel like anyone would take that opportunity at that point. If it's offered, but, um, then, yeah, I, I, I don't – I would have more regrets if I was doing it after just one or two years. Oh, he's just you – know, he's just launching. He's just off right, a lily pad right, from one to the other. Right. After that much time, it would make it a very, very difficult decision. But the economics would play in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Definitely. You know, that sort of thing, If it, it, would, be, it would be very difficult to turn that down. Right. Um, so we mentioned the uh, 2018 season and the playoff run. Um, it was a bit of a bumpy season, if to be quite honest, from what I remember. I mean, there were the trots rumors that they're like earlier in that season and they, they struggled at the beginning of the season, then they pick it back up. Um, what was your thought on the team going into that playoff run? Uh, I mean, we had Holpe, he was struggling going into the playoffs, Grubauer was playing great. Obviously, there was that con- the goalie controversy right there. Um, just take us what your feelings were going into that playoff run and how they were different from other playoff runs that we've had. Well, they win it all in 18. And in my opinion, they were a better team in 16 and 17. Right. I would agree. Could have easily, could have easily had a dynasty run there. Yep. But, but the 18 team, even though it wasn't talented as 16 or 17, in my humble opinion, figured out how to take a punch and overcome it, Keep figured rolling. out how to stay healthy at the right time, and also was really fortunate, very lucky at yeah. the right times when all those heartbreaks in the past weren't necessarily as fortunate. Mm-hmm. There was great play in 2018, absolutely. Um, you don't win a Stanley Cup without playing great. But they stayed in relatively good health, aside from Nick's finger, and – they got the bounces. You, right. I think to game six in Pittsburgh in round two, in overtime, Kunakal hits the post. Yep. In the past, that's off the post and in. Bye-bye, handshake. Good luck, Sid. We'll see you later. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and, and all of a sudden, um, in, go earlier in, that, in the first round series against Columbus, down 0-2 after losing the first two in overtime, in game three in Columbus, Panarin hits the post late in regulation. Columbus was the better team in the first overtime of that double overtime game three. 
could have, would have, should have wins it. It's three zip. We're not having this discussion. They were really fortunate at the right time. And they came up large. They were clutch at the right time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this was all about luck. But for, you know, you, you mentioned Braden Holtby. Down the stretch, I, if I were Barry Trotz, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I still would have gone with Philip Grubauer in game one. Was Philip horrible in the first two games? No. Was he as good as he was down the stretch? No. And that's when Braden goes in and may have been game three for Braden may have been the most pressure packed of any game in that entire playoff run. Yeah. When you really think about it, considering what would have happened if they fall behind and lose that game three, we're not having this discussion, but then he would build on it. He just got better and better and better. I love the way he played in game six and game seven of the Tampa Bay series. And for me, I knew Washington was going to win the cup after they beat Tampa in game six at home. It's probably the best I've ever seen a Capitals team play in a crucial game in the 25 years that I've been here. The building was fantastic. Caps fans were unbelievable that night. And I've used this expression before. They played football on skates. They hit everything that moved. Ovechkin, smith Pelly, Orpik, Wilson. It was one bone-crunching hit after another. And when they beat the Lightning in game six, I want to say it was three zip. I'm not sure what the final was. May have been more than that. May have been four. Um, I was convinced they were going to win the cup. I knew they would go and win game seven in Tampa. And I had disrespected Vegas all season long. So I knew they were going to steamroll them too. But for me, that run was all about, can you take a good punch in the nose and show me that you're different than the other caps? And they did it. They were punched in the nose against Pittsburgh. They lost Wilson for three games. They lose Backstrom to an injury. Those are big punches in the nose and they overcame it against their arch rival. That's when you had to know that something was different. For sure. Yeah, and you also you mentioned the uh, the couple of posts that other teams hit. It's uh, <laughs> many like of them. other teams. <laughs> Why don't? Yeah, it's like if one team if you hit the post in overtime, it's a death sentence. If the other team's going to come back and score almost like two minutes later. Uh, I mean, we've seen it. I, I feel like every other year it was us hitting the post. Pittsburgh coming down, scoring the to win it, or the Rangers, or any or anything like that. And you're right. I mean, the first two se- this first two series, they played well, but they got they did get all the bounce or not most of the bounces their way. But the best thing about that team, Alex, was it was never a, oh woe is me, here we go again. Yeah. Never. They lost the first two games at home in overtime to Columbus. They never hung their heads. The 16, mm-hmm. 17 team might have. I'm telling you, 16 and 17 played better during the regular season, may have been more talented, but they learned from those close losses to Pittsburgh. Ask any of the Penguins, ask any of the Penguins in 16 and 17, when they won back-to-back, what was the toughest series? Without a doubt, those Penguins will say against the Caps. Mm-hmm. Whoever won those series, was, in my opinion, was going to win the Cup. So if Washington had picked off one of those series against Pittsburgh, we'd be a two-time cup champion. If you picked them off both, in my opinion, you would have had a three-peat going. But it didn't happen. The only thing I will say is that they learned. They learned from it. And Barry Trotz, which you make a great point, Barry Trotz was almost out the door at the start of the 17-18 season. There were several times, candidly, guys, where he told me, I'm not sure if I'm getting on the plane tonight. He thought he was done for. And as it turns out, without a contract extension, and they've already extended Todd Reardon, which makes 
the coaching room amazing. How did these guys get along with each other? And then, oh, by the way, you're now a Stanley Cup champion, and now you hold all the leverage. That was an amazing twist of fate. All right, so that brings me into my next question. What was your favorite part of uh, the 2018 summer, I guess? What was your favorite memory or favorite moment of that 2018 summer? Uh, either yourself or, or if it was with the guys, uh, it, with OV and all of them. Uh, what would, yeah, again. I've seen some videos. You had some dinners, some drinks with the guys, having a good time. Oh, so it's, it's, a great, it's a great question. First of all, I'll tell you, I was not drunk when I was standing next to Jacob Ron. <laughs> Most people think I'm out of my mind, but really it was the snake who was lost. I was just <laughs> trying to give himself some credit for a goal. He wanted me to call it or he was going to call it for an Ovechkin goal. Jake, you're the man now. You can call your own goals. Here's a water. Uh, that was an unbelievable seven, eight, ten-day experience once they came back from Vegas and they were running the city streets phenomenally. But um, you ask a great question, and I will, I will, I'll limit it to my one experience with the team. No fans. Fans were downstairs surrounding uh, the restaurant. It was Cafe Milano. And it was one of the few times where the guys had the cup all by themselves, no fans. And Craig Lachlan and I, Craig could not be out in Vegas when uh, the team won the cup. So he was in D.C. doing studio coverage while I was out there with Tarek and uh, Alan May and Rob Carlin. So I hadn't seen Locker very much since the team had won the cup. We were out to dinner with his family. Courtney's fooling around on her phone and going, hey, the cup is at Cafe Milano. Let's go and see it. You know, that's a great idea. And off we went, and we're upstairs, and it's just the team and the cup and me and Locke. I will start the story by telling you I've been in the presence of the Stanley Cup hundreds of times. Never have I touched it. At my age, with my background, the only people who touch that cup are the people who win it. Right. That is the holy grail. and. You're not worthy, Joe, but okay. Locker, about seven, eight, maybe, what is Locker? Maybe almost 10 years older than me. Same idea. And Locker competed for the Stanley Cup. He's a player. Never has he ever touched the cup, ever. We go upstairs, and the guys are happy as you know what. They're, they've been at this for a while, um, and they are feeling no pain. <laughs> we walk in. You know, we get a big ovation there. These guys, these are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. So that warms your heart right away. Joe, pick it up. John Carlson says this. I said, John, no, no, no. We're just here. We want to shake your hands. We want to congratulate you guys. We think this is phenomenal. So, so happy for you. Joe, pick it up. No, 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 no. I, I can't. Johnny, really. Thank you. Tom Wilson, pick it up. <laughs> Joe, pick it up. Alex Ovechkin, pick it up. No, 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 I can't, I can't. They all wanted us to pick it up. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there. Now I'm totally conflicted. All of this I've been telling, I don't deserve to, I don't deserve to pick this up. You guys want it. You are the guys who bled for it. Not me. Pick it up, pick it up. And they're getting more and more animated. And I'm, I'm taking out words. Pick it the, mm, up. Joe, pick it <laughs> yeah. blanking up. I'm like, okay. And I did. And wouldn't you know it, Locker did too. I can't believe it, but Locker did too. And nobody knows that except now you four and us and the team. But we had it. And um, 
Locker went over his head. I did not, I would yeah. not kiss it, but I, I went to about here with it. I just, I think it's a sacrilege to do this. If you're right. not a player, if you're not a player, you don't do that. That's the way mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's the way I was raised guys. No, that's, all, that's awesome that you believe that goes back. Like that, that goes awesome. back to the nineties when I first started in the, in the NHL, it goes back to the eighties when I did my first pro hockey, that Stanley cup is the Stanley cup. You don't go overhead unless you win it. So mm-hmm. I did bring it to here. And that was one of many great stories, but that's, that's my favorite. That's, yeah. It felt great. It, what was great was that the team wanted to include us. Yeah. yeah. There are times. They, and know, I told you, they know what you're a part. In agony, while we were not calling game five, I was agonizing over that because you don't feel like you're part of it. Yeah. It was great that the players thought enough of us to say, hey, you know what? Pick it up. You deserve it. That, that, was, that was really humbling. Did you get a day with the cup or no? No. 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 Okay. no I will, my, other, my other favorite story is um, Dick Patrick, the longtime president of the Caps, I've known for 25, 26 years. But it's not like I spent a lot of time on the phone with Mr. Patrick. And I, I came home that summer, like an August day, and my um, answering machine's flashing. And I pushed the button. Joe, this is Dick Patrick. Give me a call. I'm like, oh, Jesus, am I fired? Am I gassed? What? <laughs> You know, am I done? What did I do? And I call him up and I'm shaking while I'm calling. He goes, Joe, I just wanted to let you know that you and Locker are getting the actual player ring. And um, I was blown away by that. That was fantastic. So they, we do have the actual team ring, but no, 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 no day with a cup. That's gotcha. team ring. That's, that's a hell of a prize right there. And it's, uh, oh, yeah. Um, I kind of want to ask you about something that you mentioned last night on the, the broadcast of the Caps Greatest Hits, which is yeah. the first of five awesome series. I mean, that 09 Game 7 Gamers range was one of the Greatest Caps games, I think, of all time, in my opinion, still. Um, you mentioned that Simmon was kind of a – as a media member, you, you mentioned he was kind of a tough guy to figure out, uh, whether it was a language barrier, him being uncomfortable, that type of time, that type of thing. So I kind of want to ask you, I mean, over the years, who have been some of, like, the greatest players in terms of, like, building a personal relationship, the easiest guys to work with as a media member? I mean, after a tough loss, maybe some guys don't want to talk. And then – Similar to that, who's another guy outside of Simmons that's, you know, maybe been tough to kind of handle or kind of try to break open as a media member? I'm not going to go down that last road with you, but suffice it to say that uh, the four of us have spoken more in these 45 minutes than I ever did to Alex Simmons in his total time here. Yeah. So Alex was a tough nut to crack in that sense, but all of his teammates say great things about it. And I will always say great things about his skill set uh, he's a more talented player than Alex Ovechkin. That's saying something. Yeah. He's yeah, more talented. That player was more talented than Alex Ovechkin. I don't know that he had Alex Ovechkin's heart or drive or hustle or mind, but skill set. Alex Semin was one of the four or five most gifted players I think I've ever seen. But I could not get to know him because English was so foreign to him, and he didn't really make the effort or – or he pretended not to. See, like, there's – again, I don't want to go too far down this road, but this was, this was a player who – what's the expression? It was really hard to get your arms around him. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted to. Right. There was a time when he was leading – there was a time when he was leading the league in points, and we, yeah. really, we really couldn't speak to him. That, that's, that's hard as a media member. Um, but like I said, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy at all. Everybody says he's a great guy, so I will – I will take your word for it. I could not get to know him well enough to give you that judgment. Everybody who did 
inside those four walls in the dressing room, they all said great things. So, you know, Alex is, is an interesting, interesting question mark. I think I might have said he was, a, he was a puzzle. He was a tough puzzle to figure out. We've had so many great guys who are super, super cooperative. Um, you'll hear a couple of them on this uh, Greatest Hits series that we're doing on NBC Sports Washington. Ole Colsey was a prince. I mean, and as a goalie, it's hard to, to catch up with those guys on the day of the game. Braden Holpe, phenomenal. He'll talk to you on the day of a game. Somebody like Eddie Belfour, he'll cut your head off if you try to talk to him on the day of a game. Yep. So he, Eddie was terrific when I was trying to get background about a, about a Dallas game that I might have been doing, whether it be for Versus or for, uh, for NBC Sports Washington or what have you. He talked to you the day before the game. But the day of the game, he's breathing fire. Yep. You do not talk. And you learn that. You find out who you can talk to and who you, who you can't. Um, Ken Klee comes to mind as somebody who is just so good with the media. We have tons of – Nick Backstrom. We have tons of guys who are incredibly good with the media. Brooks Like was a media darling. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Niskanen was incredible in difficult situations. Oh, sorry, Matt, you just lost in double overtime. He'd always be out there answering questions. Um, some guys have a knack for doing that. Some guys like doing it. Um, some guys do it begrudgingly, but very, very few. I've been really fortunate in that sense. You know, we are conditioned as Caps fans, quote unquote, to dislike Sidney Crosby. I'm telling you, if you had the chance to sit with him, talk with him, work with him as I have both Caps Penguins and nationally on Versus, he's an amazingly good person and a phenomenal talent. But we're supposed to hate him because of the rivalry. Okay, I understand that. I'm here to tell you he's a tough guy to hate. Right. I don't, I don't like the whiny yippy Sid. I don't like that guy. <laughs> but I'm telling you he's way more than that. And yeah. we're, we're blessed in hockey. There are a lot of tremendously good guys. I think of the four major sports, I think it's I'm safe in saying hockey players are much more down to earth uh, than the rest. And I'm not, I'm not here to backhand the rest. I'm, I'm here to, to sing the praises of the hockey guys. They're incredible to work with. Right. So you've been around the game for a while and in this Caps franchise, what are maybe one or two guys with the Caps organization and then in the NHL as a whole that haven't got the opportunity to lift the cup that you would love to see lift the cup? Oh, wow. You know, I was trying hard to think about that the other day. And if memory serves, somebody like, he, he now prefers his pronunciation, Johansson. But Marcus Johansson, I would have loved to have seen celebrate with a cup. Uh, Mike Green, I would have loved to have seen celebrate with the Caps with a cup. Another fantastic guy. He was so, so good about giving insight that I could use with Locker, with Allen, with Al Koken during the game. Greeny was phenomenal that way. Um, Brooks Light comes to mind. Oh, Troy boy. Brower, who's going to be on the, uh, the Greatest Hits series. Troy won a cup with Chicago, but it would have been great to see him win one uh, with Washington. As good a public speaker as you're going to find. Carl Alsner always comes to mind. Carl, for so long, was joined at the hip with John Carlson. Right. From their days back together in Hershey. Carl didn't get a chance to win the cup. Those are, those are the ones that really bounced into my mind really, really fast. I would have loved to have seen Matt Bradley do it and David Steckel, sure. Um, you know, all those guys like that whole the 2010 so to 2014 teams, like pretty much all those guys. Oh, of just retired yesterday. Would like Alex? Him? That was that was guys. That was like traveling with a rock and roll band. <laughs> the team had so much fun 
on yep. and off the ice. Please read between the lines, if you will. Yep. <laughs> but in 2010, they were so good, yep. but they weren't ready to win it all. They weren't. They didn't have the acumen to do it. Now the 15, 16, 17, 18 team, yeah, those. And now the, the 19 and 20 team, and that's why 19 pisses me off. Last year's <laughs> team was good enough to do it again, but was no. tired. Maybe you ran out of gas. Maybe didn't, I don't know, didn't respect the opposition enough. I'm telling you, fellows, we've been really fortunate. 16, 17, 18, 19 this year, those five years, you could easily call the Caps a legitimate, not just a cup contender, but a legitimate one. And, yeah, I'm forever grateful they picked off the one in 18. But I, if I was greedy, you should have a couple more. Yeah. You, really, you really could. If you're greedy, you think that way. I'm forever grateful for this group, for what they brought to the city, to see the city celebrate the way it did in 2018. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. I just hope and I want for them to do it again. I, I firmly believe the Ovechkin-Backstrom group, Holpe, Carlson, they should have one more kick at it, one more really good chance to do it. TJ Oshie, by the way, you ask about guys who are Jeez. incredible as far as dealing with the media. TJ may be your number one guy. He's way up there. Yeah. Right. Well, Joe, we'll start to wind it down here at the last kind of two or three questions or else we'll keep it here till midnight, which you probably don't want to do. <laughs> so I'll kick it over to AB for this one, and then we'll get into a, uh, like two or three quick rapid questions. To end it sure. Off. I was going to say, that brings me into this next question of uh, this season, this, this past season that just happened. We don't – it's kind of up in the air, obviously, right now. What – Going into the playoffs this year, how what did you think of the team? I mean, earlier this season, we started off so hot. Well, actually, started off a little slow, but then November, December, we just kick it into high gear. Uh, it's it's like, oh, yeah, this team's another cup, cup to contending team once again. And then end of December, team slows down. The power play is just not working at all. Um, Holpe has an off month, month and a half picks it back up in February or after the all-star break, but the rest of the teams still didn't seem to get it together up until where we were, where we were at. What did you think of this team going into this playoffs? I think you've diagnosed it pretty well in that um, I'll take it one little step further though. Just my opinion. When they were beating the doors off of people early in the season, when their record was astronomical, when their road record was impeccable, I still don't think they were playing their best. I, still I think would they actually agree. had one more gear to go to. And for the longest time, I actually thought that they were sort of outscoring their problems. You know, yeah. Braden's been good this year, no more than that. Mm. And I think he would admit that to you. And in the last six to eight weeks before the NHL hit that pause button, uh, whenever that was in, uh, after the Buffalo game in the second week of March, mm -hmm. the Caps were barely a 500 team. Right. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like the way we were going down that stretch. But I will say this, this team is smart enough to almost coach itself. And this is not to take anything away from Todd Reardon or Blaine Forsyth or anybody in the coaching staff at all, uh, Scotty Arneal and, and Reed Cashman, et cetera. This team's smart enough that it almost coaches itself. So I think we were starting to see that uptick. So that if we actually did play the last two weeks, if we actually did play the last, uh, what was it, 13 games of the season, I think you would have seen the club start to ramp up towards round one. That's just my mm -hmm. opinion. And now who knows what to expect. 
if, first of all, we have to keep everybody as healthy and, and safe and sound as possible. If they're able to come back in June and July and hand out a cup in August or September, that's pie in the sky to me. I, I, first and foremost, you need to keep people healthy. Yeah, but if yeah. you're able to do that, who knows how they'll react to this long of a layoff? Who right. knows how teams that were badly injured who have now all healed up? It's going to be an amazing race if they actually get to put the end of the season together to whatever degree, maybe four or five games, maybe all of it, who knows, and then whatever modified playoffs they're going to do. I don't know how to handicap it. I really don't. Yeah. Philadelphia was going so good when we stopped. I would have told you Philadelphia would have run over Pittsburgh and Philadelphia would have run over Washington in the playoffs in the Metro had we continued where we were. But all bets are off now. Right. All bets are off. I did not like the way they were playing late in the year. Nobody did. But I had right. a feeling that, you know what, they know when to ramp it back up. And I still do. And now, yeah. now who knows, though, after a month, two months off, who knows what to expect. Right. Like, when we were going into this stretch, I'd, we were getting the goaltending back from Hopi a little bit. I thought he started playing well. I feel like our main issue was just the power play. I mean, we just couldn't get it going on the power play and in our own defensive end. But, um, I mean, I think they're ranked, now it's – I think they're ranked 17th on the power play. Yeah, it's, I think if yeah. you go to the stats, they're – Everybody thinks they're a top five power play. They're not. They, they haven't no, been. No, not They've become way too predictable. But, again, their skill set is so good. Go ahead. You, are you going to take penalties against the Caps, you know, without, without any punishment? In the playoffs, you don't want to do that. They're too too highly skilled. And I always, I still always think that there's an added wrinkle or two that they're withholding that they, they want to save for key moments. Sure. So, like I said, we'll, we'll end it here. We'll each ask you one more kind of just like quick rapid question. So, KP, you want to go yours first? Uh, yeah. So, when you're on the road, do you have like a routine uh, in each city, like your favorite restaurant in each place, something like that? Or you kind of change it up? And then what is your favorite place to go to on the road? Okay, so favorite place literally to broadcast from. It's hard to beat. Um, it's hard to beat Montreal Bell Center on a Saturday night on a hockey night in Canada. Oh. Biggest arena in the in the league. Very very loud. Incredibly knowledgeable fan base. The sound system is amazing. That's a pretty pretty good spot. I I, I mean, aside from what goes on night after night at Capital One Arena, which is my favorite place to do a game, but. Uh, non-Washington, D.C. would have to be uh, in Montreal. There are a lot of different nice spots to work from, from a broadcast booth perspective. I always love doing games in Boston. Uh, I love doing games in Vegas. The atmosphere is incredible. Um, but as far as routine is concerned, we pretty much have the same day-to-day -day routine. Uh, 7.30 a.m., ripping through about 50 pages of stats that come in from Elias. About 9 o'clock, I'm on the radio uh, either doing isolated hits here in D.C. or around the country or maybe with the team that we're playing. 10 o'clock, I'm on a bus going to the uh, practice rink. 11 o'clock, after watching both teams work out, you're in the dressing room, you're talking to players, you're talking to coaches, you're getting as many notes as possible, things that you might be able to add into the broadcast that night. Uh, you get back to the hotel, it's lunchtime. You get back home, it's lunchtime. I try to find an hour in the gym somewhere in there between – 1.30 and 2.30, you're back on the bus at 4, you're at the arena at 4.30, you're in the truck at 5, you're working through tapes, you're rehearsing through some things, 5.30, you're looking at elements with locker, 6 o'clock, you're taping stuff, 6.45, you're on the air technically on tape, 7 right. o'clock, you're into the game, 
Seven o'clock goes to 9.30. 9.30, the game's over. You do a few more tapes. If you're on the road, you're getting on the bus, you're going to the airport, you're going to the next city. Um, we, have a, we have a pretty full itinerary. It never stops. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so my question for you is, so you and Locker have a pretty good relationship, obviously. It's almost like a brother-brother relationship. Um, and you can almost see it on the air sometimes when it's a little friendly bickering. Is that, is that always happening on and off the air? Uh, AB, he and his family have treated me like family for 25 years almost. Yeah. And ever since I've known them, they've been wonderful to me. So what you see on the air is honest and genuine. Yeah. And if you think about it, Locker and I have seen just about every evolution of, of the Caps. We've seen them be lottery pick worthy, and we've seen them be dominant Stanley Cup champions. And if you go back to the year, I don't know, pick one, 99, 2000, right around when Yager was there or a little bit before, those, those teams were dreadful. You know, they were 20 and 30 games below 500 at times. So Craig and I needed to be a little bit more, shall we say, entertaining to hopefully keep your interest. Right. We never want to have a laugh fest, yuck, yuck riot that's going to take away from the play. The play is what matters most. But if we can make you laugh two or three times a night, then we're, in our minds, doing our jobs properly. It should never take away from the broadcast. The bickering is, again, it's done to try and, and for you guys to recognize it, for the fans to recognize it. That's great. That's exactly what we're trying to do. But we don't ever want it to supersede a great Peter Bonder breakaway goal or a oh, great um, you know, effort by Mike Gartner back in the day. Never is it to take away from that. It's always an accent. As a play-by-play -play guy, I consider myself like an accent piece of furniture. You're not the dominant piece of furniture in the room, but you're the one who puts it all together. You're the traffic cop. You're right. the seamstress. You're knitting it together. Mm -hmm. So last one here, uh, and then we'll let you go. So another hypothetical we're going to throw at you, kind of a brain buster, hopefully. If you could think of one game or maybe one athlete and put yourself in the booth, no matter what time in history, like, you know, the Maripol Nights, maybe an NBA Finals game where Jordan goes for like 65, is there one game or athlete at any time period that you would want to be in the booth and to call that? Uh, I'll give you a two-prong answer. Okay. So with regard to athlete – I'm around hockey players all the time. I think that collective group, I think they are the best athletes. When you factor in balance, they're doing everything on razor blades. So they're fast, they're strong, and they're incredibly agile and balanced. I think they are, as a group, the best athletes collectively. The best athlete I've ever seen, witnessed in person, uh, is Vincent Bo Jackson. Nothing... Nothing that I've ever seen, even though Bo doesn't know hockey, <laughs> Bo doesn't know how to skate from a pure speed, power, athleticism. I've never seen an athlete better than Bo Jackson and be an all-star at both baseball and uh, football. I witnessed Bo Jackson hit a home run off of Dennis Oil Can Boyd at Fenway Park that I insist is still going. I've never seen a ball hit that far. I've never heard the sound of the crack of a bat like that ever. I mean, he, he was, in my opinion, superhuman. One episode that I wish that I could have been there 
So, you know, let's go all the way back full circle. Um, let's go back full circle to where we started about an hour ago. I mentioned to you, my dad was a New York Rangers season ticket holder, uh, New York Ranger fire, a New York city firefighter for 35 years. It would have been pretty cool to have broadcast the 1994 Ranger game seven cup win over Vancouver, mm-hmm. just to blend in all of those, you know, childhood memories and the electricity of that building. Cause if you, when you see it on NHL network at that time, there was a national broadcast and a local broadcast. So what I was lamenting didn't happen in Vegas was still happening at that time. So the Rangers TV announced crew was there as well as the national crews from Canada and from the United States to have had that opportunity that would have been pretty amazing. Mm. I mean, short of telling you about June 7th, 2018. That's got to be the first one. Right. right. Knowing, yeah. knowing what you now know about me as being connected to the Caps for as long as I was and have been, sure, June 7th, 2018. Right. I would have wanted to have been there. But you take me back in history, I, that 94 experience at Madison Square, Square Garden would have been spine tingling that would have been amazing on a lot of levels well there it is joby we are extremely appreciative of your time and talking with us for an hour plus now we greatly appreciate it the stories getting to talk to you and i really hope you are back in my living room here soon enough yeah let's let's keep our fingers crossed and in the meantime um thank you for inviting me i really enjoyed the conversation and please do uh, stay well and stay healthy yep same to you and your family stay healthy stay safe and we'll uh hopefully chat soon and like i said hear you soon Thank we would you, love to have you on again, that's for sure. You got it.